My love, he'll come to you if you ask him to. You need to have a relationship with him. That's what makes him hear you and heed you if you have a relationship with him. Relationship is important. Faith is the connector for that relationship. Think about it. Somebody who really does believe in God, but then suddenly decides they want to pray. It's almost like a spam call to heaven. You know those phone calls you get on your phone. Say spam risk. Yeah. You don't answer it. Because you don't know them. All right? You, you, you ignore those calls when you don't have a relationship with them. Why would you expect to pick up your call? Because you're desperate? Because the circumstance is bad? Because you're frustrated? I know that's what you think, but if he don't know your number, You don't answer. You don't answer the phone call. Why would you expect him to? Yeah. Don't let your number show up in heaven as a spam risk. Yeah. Make sure he knows you. You have a relationship with him. We've been talking about prayer. He's only a prayer away. I don't know why God allowed prayer to be the vehicle that he uses to communicate with us. I don't know. But I'm so glad he did because the prayer is so perfect for all situations. First of all, you don't have to open your mouth to pray. You can think it. You can, you can, it can emanate from your heart. And God has the ability to read those prayers that come from your heart when you can't talk because how many of you know that there may be some times when you can't open your mouth? Or if you can open your mouth, you don't know the words to say or to use. God has the ability to interpret all kinds of languages, known and unknown to us. God can interpret tears. Know what they mean. Know if they're happy tears. Sad tears, confused tears, frightened tears. He can interpret all those things. And he's only, he's only a prayer away. There have been circumstances when I've been in a tough spot and I pick up my phone and I call somebody and I need them right then and I call a number and I don't get them. And I know they love me. I know they, I know they love me. I know as soon as I can make the connection, they're going to do what they can to support me under those circumstances, but I can't get them. Can't get them. And, and, and then I say, well, leave a voicemail. And it's just so happened to be the day that the voicemail is full. Can't leave no voicemail. Never happens in heaven. Never happens. He's always just a prayer and ability, a way to take care of what you need. In fact, he can do it before you even reach out to him. We pray for that in here. We call it prevenient prayer. We say, Lord, we're praying in advance for what folk are going to need. Will they even know they need it? Bless them. He's been doing that all your life if you didn't know it. You, if, you, if you got enough maturity about you to think back on your life, how you seem to show up somewhere and just the person you needed, just the situation you needed was right there. And you say, this can't be nothing but God. Guess what? You were right. <laughs> it was all God. But what happens when God has told you to do something 
and you know he's told you to do it and you don't want to because it's hard. Because it's difficult. I wonder if you'll be honest with yourself from here and admit that there have been some things that God's told you to do. You know he wanted you to do it and you didn't. You didn't. You haven't. And you didn't and you haven't done it. What happens in those circumstances? How does God respond to you not responding to him in the manner that benefits kingdom? Well, of course, you know, scripture is good for all circumstances. So there's a scripture, there's a passage, there's a book in the Bible that supports what I just said. You're familiar. He's one of the most talked about old prophets in scripture. But I want to talk to you about his story a little bit different. You got your Bible and you know, turn to Jonah. Jonah. We're only going to talk about verse chapters one and two. Those are, there's enough action in that to preach a revival for them all. Jonah. Jonah the reluctant prophet. Jonah the refusing. Well, initially he was refusing. Yeah, I hear you. Refusing. We've been talking in a series called Dangerous Prayers. Believe me. Jonah's prayer. When you ask the Lord to use you, watch out. When the Lord commissions you to use you, watch out. Because it, it doesn't say, and I'll just give it to you this way. When you sign up for the army or the military, you sign up and you say, I'll go on whatever mission they send me on. You can't sign up and say, send me to safe places. I just, I just signed up to go to easy places. You have to go where the need is. And in kingdom building, particularly at this time, these are some awful places. So let's talk about. Let me let me let me read some of this passage from you. I'm in second chapter, and I don't know what version of the Bible you have. I'm pretty certain I'm reading from the NIV. I didn't put that that on here. Verse 1 reads, from inside the fish. That even starts out crazy. <laughs> from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to the holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. A whole lot in there. Whole lot. But how do we get to this place where Jonah starts telling this story from the perspective of being in a fish? Because that's the only part we ever really talk about. We don't talk about what precedes him being there in the first place. I want to talk, I want to call this a distress signal from the sea. A distress signal from the sea. Distress signal, you've heard of them. You've seen them on TV, maybe some in your part of work, you know what a distress signal is. Uh, every agency has some kind of distress signal, particularly those that are in law enforcement. Something happens to a particular officer there is a call that they can make that every officer knows to go to that spot because somebody's in distress. If you're in maritime, uh, on the waters, and you hear it over your radio, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, but if you hear Mayday, 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 three times, all sailors, they know that means somebody's in trouble. They don't, they don't know what the trouble is, but they know we need to get to them. It's not something you play with. You don't get on the microphone and say, mayday, 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 unless there really is a problem going on called a distress call. And it's internationally recognized. Um, and no matter where you are, if you're on waters, navigable waters, and you use that term, those terms three times, somebody's going to come help you out. If you're in a plane, same thing happens. You use that terminology and somebody's going to come and help you. But what is a dis distress call spiritually? What do you say? I've seen folks say a whole lot of things. I've seen, Lord help. And that's why you ought to be careful what you say. All right, don't just be throwing stuff out there. When, and when you say, Lord help, and you belong to the Lord, Guess what? He's looking to help. He will. Just like if you can be, I'm going to tell you what a distress call is. You're in Walmart and you're on one aisle and you hear somebody say, Mama! That's a distress call. And what's amazing about that is the mama, whose baby that is, is fine-tuned to that voice. That ain't nobody but done it. And despite the fact that there might be 50 mamas in Walmart, don't but one come to deal with that child because she knows which one. I'm always amazed at that. I'm really amazed at that in the animal kingdom, how, uh, say, a sheep, a little lamb can be lost and it can bleat to indicate that it's lost and can't get to it. And when it bleats, that lamb's mama, the you knows that's her baby. And so if God can make a, a you know her lamb, then certainly he can make us know our children, which we do, and he knows his own. He knows his own. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to use it. I love it. His uh, help is bilingual. <laughs> you don't have to speak it in a certain language for God to know I need you to come and get me. And so when we start talking about God's call on Jonah, the first thing you need to know is God commissioned him to go and preach a word to some people who were in a land that was, I want to use the word bad, but that ain't strong enough. The, the, the word's not strong enough to really capture who these folks were how bad they were in Nineveh. Jonah is upset with his directions when God commissions him. Richard, he's upset because he doesn't even want God to pay attention to these folks. They are so awful, he feels they don't even deserve God's grace or mercy or any attention. And the fact that God is sending him to them is aberrant, is, 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 is a negative on Jonah's part. And so when God says, Jonah, get up and go tell them about me, 
Jonah absolutely refuses. I'm not going over there. Not, not, not because I don't love you, Lord, but because they don't deserve a God like you. Now, who are we to determine who deserves God and his mercy? No matter how awful they are. Yeah, he thanked God joking when he sends them. I want you to go over here to Nineveh. He said, Lord, these folk are idol worshipers. Not only are they idol worshipers, but let me tell you, history records that the Assyrians were so cruel and so heartless that the, 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 the depictions, the engravings of them during that time, and I got a lot of young kids in here, but they, 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 were, captured, they were captured people and tortured them. They would take their skulls and wear them around their neck like necklaces. Just barbarians, just horrible, horrible people. When they took over a town in battle, they would take the, the, the survivors and impale them and leave them at the gates of the city to let folk know that we don't, if you don't belong here, don't knock on our door is basically what they're saying. Because if you come in here, you got a problem. And after the battle, they would just pile the skulls of people that they had conquered. Just as high. These people were horrible. They had a habit of beheading people. And this is who God wants Jonah to go to. So I want to give you some perspective now. I don't want you to think that Jonah was just going to miss a vacation or Jonah had something else planned for the time that he was supposed to go. I, I don't want you to think that he was just being a reluctant warrior. No, Jonah had every right to be scared. In fact, if he was eager to go there, one might consider him foolish not to realize the, the danger he would find himself in in this idolatrous nation. Now, he's not the first. Y'all know he's not the first one to be reluctant once commissioned. Now, I want to give you perspective on that, too, because many of our major prophets have been or leaders have had some hesitance or reluctance. Moses, we know, had a back and forth with God about, Lord, I can't talk. You know, the Lord supported him by giving him uh, his brother Aaron to speak for him. The Lord hears these concerns. Why are you saying this, Andre? Because I want you to know, having some doubt doesn't mean you can't carry out the mission that God wants you to carry out. Elijah, Jeremiah, they all had some issues once they were called. But God wanted Jonah to cry tears of compassion and go to people. If God's mercy is not good enough for the least of them among us, then we have to question the value of that mercy in the first place. If you got to be kind of good in order to get it, then is that truly mercy in the first place? And that's what we think. You know, if you're doing pretty good, then you're okay for the kingdom. But if by our standards, your life is just ratchet at the bottom and you don't deserve it, that's just not how it works. In fact, Jesus straightened it out. To whom, to whom much is given. That, that, that tells you the depth of their love and mercy um, for the Savior who would come to them. Jonah doesn't want God to listen to Nineveh's prayers, Nineveh's cries. Because, see, even in the midst of all that horribleness, you and I got to know that somebody in there was still in need and crying out for somebody to come and help them. And God had heard their pleas and he had heard their cries. And the, re the way he was going to do it was by sending his man, his emissary, Jonah, into that place. And so God tells him to go east. And so you know what that means. God tells him to go east. Jonah gets up and he goes west. Yeah. He tells him to go to one side of the country. Jonah gets up and goes all the way to the other end of the country. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about real places. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah went to Tarshish which was off the coast of Spain, right over near Gibraltar. All right, you heard of the Rock of Gibraltar? Real place. I've been there. Real place. But that's where he wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> He's supposed to be on the other side of the country. He's told to travel to a city. He heads to the sea. He's told to stand up and preach. 
he lies down and goes to sleep on the boat. How just just disobedient, just disobedient, just as disobedient as he can be. And interestingly, it hadn't changed since the garden, Tyrone. Just like Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden when they knew they had messed up. That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah's trying to hide out. But there's no place you can go to hide from God. No place. In fact, the psalmist told us that in Psalm 139. In fact, if you need a reminder, go to Psalm 139. And you'll find these words. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the down and settle in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will hold me fast. There's nowhere I can go to get away from God's presence. And so Jonah gets on a boat going to a place he shouldn't be going. And, and, and I want to stop and I want to tell you this. You can always find a ride to where you're not supposed to be going. Always. Somebody else is always ready to go. They gassed up. They don't want no gas money. We got room for you. Get in. And they will take you to that space. Yeah. It would normally take three weeks or even months to arrange passage on the sea at that time. Jonah found an immediate ride. Oh yeah, because the, the enemy knew that Jonah had this mission that he was refusing and the enemy, the enemy arranged it so that he could have first class accommodations to the road to nowhere. To the road to problems. Yeah. You got to know that the enemy was delighted to give him that passage because it meant that those people in Assyria would not be getting closer to God. So in chapter one of this of this uh, book, Jonah acknowledged that he knew he was the cause of the storm. Can I tell you, he didn't go where God told him to go. Let me bring this on in for you. And he gets on this boat. And as soon as he gets on this well, ship, the ship starts having all kind of problems. They're at sea and it's a storm like nobody's ever seen before. The folk are terrified because they're saying, We've never seen a storm like this. What has gone on to make, they don't know who to call on, so they call on their gods, upset with us. And Jonah knows the reason. He's sitting over there, you know, on his phone, just <laughs> acting like he ain't paying attention to him, you know, playing, looking at TikToks and just, <laughs> and, they, and they finally noticed that he ain't worried. Why is he not worried about what's going on? And Jonah tells him because he's not, he's not a liar. He's just scared. He says the reason all this is happening is because of me. And, he, and, and I'm going to summarize. He basically says, if you're wise, you'll throw me overboard and get rid of me. But these people are not quick to do that until things start getting worse and worse and worse. And if you read chapter one, you'll see just how bad it is. And Jonah is refusing to accept the fate that he has to go back and do what God says he's, he's supposed to do. And so eventually, the folks get tired of him because they cannot control anything. They've, they've thrown the rations on the boat overboard. They're trying to keep themselves alive. So they put the cargo into the water. Now think about it. They're, they're out at sea getting rid of their cargo because they want to not sink. And finally, they realize the only way this is going to stop what they think is to put Jonah overboard. And guess what? As soon as they threw him out of, into, this, into the water, storm stops. As soon as they throw him out, get him out, storm stops. They become instant believers in God because they've thrown Jonah out and they realize he was telling the truth. But this only continues the saga that Jonah is going in. Because what I want you to understand is we always tell the story of Jonah from the perspective of when he got in the fish. But there's a whole lot that happened before the fish. 
Just like when you get in trouble, we walk this with you, you always want to just talk about the trouble you in. You don't ever want to talk about the pathway to the trouble. But it's all of those steps to trouble that get you messed up. And if you can circumvent some of those choices and decisions made on the pathway to trouble, you might not get in trouble in the first place. But sometimes, just sometimes, Pam, you got to walk that thing all the way out, including trouble, in order for you to get the full effect of what God is trying to have you do. All right. So the first thing I want you to say is we see a fish coming to the scene. This is not just any fish. This is a fish that God has also commissioned for a job. Now, think about that. God controls everything. And the fish did something strange. See if I can make it plain for you. See, there's no problem, and you won't find this recorded anywhere in any, any other hist history book, uh, any aquatics book, none of that. It's, it's not unusual to hear about a man getting up. In fact, I heard just this morning, on, when I got up, I checked my phone, there's a feed, feed of people I know talking about an activity that was going on. And one of them said, I can't do it because I'm out here fishing. All right. This was just this morning. That's not unusual. That doesn't strike you as crazy for folk to be out fishing. Men and women go fishing all the time. All right. But verse 17 records something completely different. Instead of the man catching the fish, verse 17 said the fish caught the man. That's something you won't see recorded anywhere else. The man didn't go out there and find the fish. Instead, the fish that was commissioned by God came and found this man. But interestingly, the fish caught a man going the wrong way. All right. And I want you to, I want you to stick a pin in that because it's going to be relevant. The fish caught a man going the same way. I mean, the wrong way. Not only did the fish catch a man going the wrong way, the fish held the man until the man was mature. All right. Held the man until he was mature. So God sends a storm. The storm upsets the boat, the ride that Jonah's on going the wrong way. Circumstances in the wrong way trip required that Jonah gets thrown overboard into the deep. Saul, he's in the deep, still going the wrong way. God sends a rescue mission for him. And the rescue mission involved a fish coming to get him. The fish picks him up going the wrong way, but the fish won't immediately let him go. Why? Well, because sometimes it's in that space that the maturity comes that you need to have. It's in the fish. And in this space, I want you to know that the fish is the church. It's our job to catch folk going the wrong way who've been tossed over into the deep of life. Because we catch folk who've been traveling the wrong way for a long time. And it's our job to hold them until they're mature enough to be able to do what God wants them to do. The problem is we won't go fishing. <laughs> we won't go catch folk. We expect all the folk doing wrong to come to us. Somebody ought to say amen. Yeah, we have to go out and catch them. We have to go where they are. We have to go to the deep. Sometimes we can't expect that everybody going to walk through that front door. Didn't I just say God sent the fish? Yeah, Jesus sent the fish. Go ye therefore and put a church on the corner and expect everybody to come to you. That's not what he told the disciples. He said, go get them. Go talk to them. Go teach them. And teach them until they, they know enough. Let me, let me see if I can give this to you just a little bit more. God is saying, Jonah, turn around and do right. All right? That's exactly what we ought to be doing. 
we, we, we think that people ought to know they're doing wrong and one day just wake up and say, I'm going to go to church. Yeah, I know I've been living so foul and so ratchet all my life. At this moment, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go to church. That, that, that might happen, could happen, not likely to happen, but you might meet them in Walmart. You might meet them on the job. You might, let me go, let me, let me make it even more plain. You might meet them at your kitchen table <laughs> because that's the problem. We got folk in our family who traveling the wrong way and we let them stay comfortable in their wrong way living, eating our Cheerios. We let them stay comfortable doing the things they're doing in rebellion comfortable in rebellion, I guarantee you, if you take and multiply the problems we're having in our community, it ain't because folk live rebelliously, because they always have, it's that we have accommodated them. And living rebelliously, we make them comfortable in living rebelliously. Oh, I know what I'm talking about now. You got folk in your house right now who you know don't do right, but you won't open your mouth. Or fear that y'all not going to get along no more. Now you pointing the finger at Jonah because Jonah ran away from what God told him to do. When you need to look in the mirror. Because you're supposed to start evangelizing in your own house. Because there's some folk right now who are out there way in the deep. It's my job. Hard too, to tell folk when they're traveling wrong. It don't make folk invite you to their home. It won't make folk feel comfortable about you, around you. It makes them uneasy. Yeah, you, you, you find yourself lonely because it's designed to be such that when you come and tell them, they have to know you're not part of the problem, which means you got to live different than them. And that's, that's, that's difficult. That's difficult. I know it don't make me cool, don't make me popular, but the job God has given me to do is to tell people they're traveling wrong. But it's not just for me, it's you too. It's your job to tell folk that they are living and, and going wrong and we've allowed people to become comfortable in wrongdoing, all right? You've been blocking storms from hitting folk. The storms of life have been battering them, but every time you see a storm coming their way or find them in a storm, you blocked it, the storm for them. They never get the full impact of it because we're always trying to protect them. And so guess what? They're going to blame you for their problems. Next time a storm comes and hit them, hits them, they're not going to blame themselves. They're going to blame you because you didn't block the storm for them because that's what they're so used to. They'll never get to the place that God wants them to while you keep sheltering them. And I think I've said this here before. I know I have. You're always telling them they can get under your umbrella. Always letting them get under your umbrella when, in fact, you need to let them get the full impact of the storm. Because it's only by getting the full impact of the storm that they are going to be able to make the change that they need to make. Oh, I know I'm right about it. We got mamas and daddies that have let kids stay under their umbrella all their lives and then the Lord called mom and daddy home and the, and the children don't know what to do because mama and the umbrella gone and they still out there in the deep living wrong. And in an instant, you see all that mom and dad amassed and put together and worked hard for is gone in four days. Stuff they worked on hard to take care of Junior. Junior don't care. No, no, it's party time. Party time with all insurance money. Yeah, Luke chapter 15, go check it out. He spent, and when he spent all he had. Yeah. So, know this. Not just the experience in the fish, but the experience prior to the fish is important. And there are two parts to that. The first is he had his surface experience. See, 
when they got mad at him, they just took him and they threw him out of the boat. And he hit the water, Jessica. He hit the water. Well, you and I both know that that in and of itself is an experience. I don't know if you've ever been in water before and start sinking, but my God, help me. The feeling of I can't help myself when you're sinking like that is one that will make you, it's got your attention. I tell you what, as you're sinking, scripture says, you have hurled me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows, billows passed over me. He has now the sensation that he is not in control. All right. And he's sinking. He's sinking. He has turned his mind to God, but not in the way you think he has. You would think that that in and of itself would do it. It doesn't because some people hit a hit away and it doesn't change them because, you know, we always come back and say, now, you would think after what they've been through. That they will start to live right now, but it doesn't because it wasn't significant enough. And it's and so he goes deeper. He goes deeper. Not he was first on the surface of the wall. Then he starts to sink and he's submerged into the sea now. And that's when the water completely encompasses him. He has no control of where he is because he's completely submerged in the water. He says it. Water encompassed me into the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. So not only is he sinking completely engulfed in the water, he's now getting entangled in the seaweeds. So it's pulling him down. And this is when he absolutely loses control. He's no longer just encircled by water. Now he's enveloped by water. All right. His environment is so inhospitable, so hostile, he can't breathe at all. When he's on the surface, he can still breathe a little bit. But now he's under the water, you can't breathe at all. And that's what some people are in life. They, they've gotten to a place that life is so suffocating to them that they can't breathe at all. They're in prime position for a change and a breakthrough in their life. And then uh, on the surface, he at least had hope that something could be different. Maybe somebody throw me a raft or a lifesaver or something. But when you get under the water, and the seaweed starts grabbing you, and that's what it feels like, then you got problems. So he, at first, he was only on the surface, then he's surrounded, and now he's separated from everything. God has him completely in the place that he needs to have his attention. Since he wants to run away, all right, since he wants to run away, God let him run away. Because think about this now. God did not banish him. He ran away. And so what God is saying is now get the full impact of the choice you made. This is what I'm telling you. Get the full impact of what's happening. And so he's surrounded. He's sinking. I mean, he's, he's, he's surrounded. He's now sinking. And I love this. I love this. That God, he says, I descended to the roots of the mountain, the very base of the sea. Do y'all know this? That if you were to take a picture of what the water looks like under the sea, there are mountains under the sea that look like they are on top of the uh, on the land. And so he's sinking so far down. He's at the base of the mountain. He's about to lose his breath cam. He's about to lose everything. He cannot breathe. And if you were to take the statement going, going. <laughs> Going, I love this about God, that God let him get right to the end of that third going. Right from that comma before he let, this is when the fish comes in and catches it. All this other stuff has happened before the fish even gets to him. God has gotten his attention. And if you're watching it, you'll say it's over for him now. He's going, he's going, he's and before gone can come in, God has come in and swooped in and allowed the fish that was commissioned to catch him and put him in the belly. In the belly. And the Bible says that he stayed three days in the fish's belly. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of a fish's belly. And people always say it's a whale. We don't have to call it a whale because the Bible didn't call it a whale. 
Um, and, and I believe God is God enough to have creatures that have been so big that we don't have to just put our name on there. But if, if calling the well makes you feel good, then okay, that's fine. The moment of Jonah's deliverance came at the moment that that fish came and caught him. Not until, now think about it, not when he was on the surface, not when he was just below the surface, even when he's sinking down, he still hadn't made his decision. It's only when he got to a place where he absolutely couldn't struggle, couldn't fight anymore, that God sent something along and it rescued him. That's when he got his true deliverance. And how do I know that? Because his prayers echoed that. When he first got, got in trouble, his first prayer was like, Lord, I know you're mighty and magnificent and we praise you and we ask you, Lord, to, to deliver us from this situation we find ourselves in. He, he half-hearted praying when he was dealing with the folk on the ship right before they threw him off. And then the second prayer he got, he got three prayers in here. If you walk through it, you're going to find three prayers. He said, Lord, we have some difficult times right now. Yeah, he said, but I know you're still in control. He said, I'm seeking your direction in times like this. But it wasn't until he got under that water. Wasn't until he was sinking down, Monica, and those seaweed was snatching him to the bottom and he didn't have any space in his lungs for breath to get in there. Wasn't until then that you heard him say, oh, oh, Lord. I know you haven't been paying attention, but right now I need to call on your majestic name. It's your boy. It's me. It's Jonah. And I'm down here sinking, Lord. I need you to hear me. I'm kneeling and body bowed. Oh, he started praying. Like he had never talked to the Lord before. He started screaming what out to the Lord. Lord, him. I can hear Foley Green saying, oh, oh, Lord. You know the kind of prayer I'm talking about. And I ain't just talking about because somebody's singing in the prayer. I'm talking because they, they're praying. That's what happens when you get in trouble. But if all you think you got to do is just say, now I lay me over them every night and that's going to be enough for them to be all right. I came to tell you that they have got to hit rock bottom sometimes. That's what Jonah did. That's the purpose of this story, to let us know that God will let you run away from him. But as the song said, oh, you may run, but you can't hide. You can't hide. And what God wanted was him to turn around. And so the fish was a place where prayer could be heard. The fish here place where prayer could be heard, a place where medicine can be received, a place where healing and peace can come to you. It's in that place that Jonah was delivered. And not only that, the fish was a place where the word of God could be heard, where somebody can come and give you some strength and some direction, and you can forget about your worries for a moment and just hear a word from the Lord. I realize every Sunday that my sermons don't, may not speak to you, but somebody needs it. Somebody's hearing it. Somebody's in the deep at that moment. Somebody's getting pulled down by the seaweed that Sunday. Somebody's world got rocked that week. They need to hear a word from the Lord, and it may not be what I'm saying by my word. They may hear something that God is directing only to them, but they need it. It's in this space. And it may not just be the word of God that comes from me. It may be the testimony that comes from the fellowship of other folk. It may be something that comes from a song across the, the choir stand. It may be something when you put it all together, but they need it. They need it when they come in here. And that's why coming and being in communion with the saints and fellowship with the saints is necessary. For you to understand what God intends for you. I don't care how fervent I was during COVID when I was preaching from my, from my office at the house. I just couldn't get there like I can get here. Same God, same Andre, same word, 
same preaching, different feeling and emotion. Some of us say it's because we spoil because every now and then when we preach, we hear somebody say amen or come on, Reverend, say what you got to say, Reverend, do that. It's not that. It's not just the physical or audible thing I'm, feel, I'm feeling. It's also the kindred spirit that's in the space. It's necessary in order for us to be in unison. And so Jonah prayed and the Lord commanded. Can I tell you, all of this was happening. You go back to verse one and said, then Jonah prayed. That's what it started out with on the story. Then Jonah prayed. Then Jonah prayed in verse chapter two. And the last thing we see is, and the Lord commanded. I love this. People are always shocked at how quickly folk can come out of the mess they find themselves in. And I love the word. You probably didn't, if you told kids, you, you want to tell kids, you can find just about anything in the Bible. If you told kids, I bet we can go in the Bible and find the word vomit. They probably look at you and say, what? But the truth of the matter is sitting there. The Bible says that the fish didn't spit him out. The fish didn't push him out. The fish didn't open his mouth and Jonah walked out. The Bible says that, that, that the fish vomited him out, spewed him out, pushed him out with the force. You know that projectile vomiting that don't nobody ever want to have. Yeah, when you ate four tacos and you should have only eaten two. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of vomiting right there. And you should not have put that hot sauce on them. Vomited him out. Put him back into the water. <laughs> back into the water. Didn't take him long to get out that water. And start going the other way. And the Bible said he ran to Nineveh. Because it was better to deal with them bad folk in Nineveh than to deal with an angry God or death. Yeah. And so we go, and I love this about it, because God doesn't say that Jonah had to be perfect. He doesn't. And you ought to be happy about that too, because he doesn't require perfection from us. Yeah. He, on the beach, gets to the beach, and he's ready to do God's will. He's ready to follow God's plan. And I love this. Because instead of being a rebellious prophet, he turns into simply a reluctant prophet. That's growth. All right. Instead of being a rebellious teenager, you make him come to church and they'll just be a reluctant teenager. And guess what? We can deal with that. Because we all been a reluctant teenager at some point. Until somebody came along and said something to us that caught our attention. And that's what leadership does. Leadership connects with you. Guess what? Your, your child ain't just a reluctant teenager at church. They're a reluctant teenager at school. They're a reluctant teenager to a house. They're a reluctant teenager in every situation they find themselves in until you use enough leadership and direction to guide them in the way they should go. And then they go from reluctance to righteousness. You make disciples of them. When Jesus called the disciples, Every one of them got up reluctantly, but they followed him. And when Jesus was crucified, every one of them was righteous and stayed on mission until they left here. They couldn't do nothing but preach about Jesus. Why? Because he showed them why it was important. And that's our job to show them why they got to live a righteous life so they don't end up in the deep. And so some people have trouble with the book of Jonah because they think it's a fairy tale. They, they think it's unrealistic that a man could be in a situation like this. The mother of all big fish stories, what some say. But Jesus compared himself to Jonah. He did. Jesus said, just as Jonah, who was a historical figure to Jesus, he referenced him just like we referenced the people who are in our history, just like we reference George Washington Carver, just like we reference uh, 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 Booker T. Washington. This is how Jesus referenced Jonah, not as a fairy tale, but as somebody who lived before him. And he said, just as he was in the, in the belly of the fish for three days, 
so too will the man of God be in the earth for three days and three nights. For three nights. And so, of course, we know that's him referring to his own death, but not just his death. Just like God allowed that fish to vomit Jonah from the mouth of that big fish after three days, so too did God allow Jesus to be vomited from death by resurrecting him. So too did God allow death not to be able to hold Jesus, but allowed him to get up fully alive with all power. And the beauty for you and I is that we too can follow the same pathway that Jesus Christ followed, if only you believe. Don't think it's a, a fairy tale. Think it's the story of your life. And so if you've never accepted the gospel message that we give you, that Jesus Christ came to earth and lived and died for you, then today begins the story of your spiritual life. Today is an opportunity for you to grab hold of that story and make it part of your own history. And you can say, when I heard about Jesus, I'd never met him before. I realized that he had come and he lived and he died for me. And that day I started believing. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted this message, never accepted this gift, I invite you today to accept it. Today is the day you can pray, Lord, I've heard your voice. I hear you speaking to me. Please, Father, save me too. Save me too. The door is open for those of you who've never made this prayer your own prayer. But perhaps you've already accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. Perhaps you've already accepted the fact that Jesus Christ lives for you. You're simply looking for a place that you can call your church home, your church family. Doors of our church are open for that purpose as well. Whosoever will, come to Jesus right now. Come on. Help us.